Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. So we titled the series Righteousness of God, and we've been exploring what exactly that is. So I've basically boiled down the righteousness of God into three statements that we've gone over so far. In Romans 1 through 3, it was kind of mankind's problem. It explains God's righteousness and our unrighteousness, all right? So Paul begins the book of Romans with one of the most easily observable things in our world today, that there is a giant sin problem with humanity, that the world is fallen. Um, And because of that, we can't be with this holy, righteous God, that we are condemned due to our rebellion against God. We have chosen to turn our back on God and become our own God. So now we are separated from God. The second statement comes from Romans 4 through 5, and that's God's solution to our problem. Like, we have the problem, but God has a solution, And he credits his righteousness by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Um, God offers us uh, the the ability to be right with God. the The ability to be justified through faith in his son, Jesus. We receive salvation. We are saved from our sin because of what Christ did on the cross through his blood that covers our sin. That's the second statement. The third and final statement that we're in right now is Romans 6 through 8, and it's the Christian life. So um, we have a problem. God has a solution. Now what? What does the Christian life look like? It's God's righteousness that transforms us from rebels, these rebellious creatures, to actually followers of God. Um, And today we're going to talk about that. In chapter 6, Uh, we read about our union in Christ. The whole theme of chapter six is basically we die to ourself and we live in Christ. That's the pattern. Death and then life. We have to die to ourselves, we die to our sins, and then we come alive through Jesus to something new. Is this difficult? Well, Let's see what Paul has to say about it in chapter 7. I'm just going to read a few clips of what he said trying to live the Christian life. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not, for I do, not do what I want, but do the very thing I hate. He goes on to say, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do good and what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Then he goes on to say, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So his Christian life, his Christian walk is not the best life now. Um, It seems pretty difficult. He, church, Paul's keeping it real. Like he's not afraid to show that he struggles and things are hard. Um, who in here today can relate to what Paul's saying? Like, it's not easy. It is not easy. Um, you know, you almost get the sense like Paul right here is pulling his hair out because he's like, I, I, I do the very thing I don't want to do. And I, I try my best to do it and I can't do it. It's, 
it's frustrating. And you read chapter seven and you finish it and you're frustrated. You're like, well, what the heck? What are we gonna do? And Romans doesn't end in chapter seven. And that's more good news. The fact that chapter seven sets up the glorious, amazing news of chapter eight. Chapter eight in Romans is the climax of the whole book. Like everything falls into chapter eight. Um, It begins with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. And in the middle, there's no defeat. It is amazing. The whole chapter is amazing. Amazing. Big Phil told me this week, he's like, we're finally in chapter eight. Yes, that's my favorite chapter in the whole book of Romans and even the whole book of the Bible or the whole yeah, book of the Bible. And he's not alone. A lot of theologians, they would say they, if they could take one chapter in the Bible on a desert island, they would take that chapter. Why? Because there's so much comfort to us as believers in Jesus in that chapter. Um, all Paul has been saying Um, all that we've been preaching about the righteousness of God comes to this grand and glorious climax in this chapter eight in Romans. Martin Luther said, if the Bible was a ring, uh, then Romans would be the gem that would enhance the ring. And then he went on to say that Romans eight would be the brilliant splendor that emanated from that ring. So you could say scripture is the ring, Romans is the rock, chapter eight's the bling. Like, That's it. If you want to think about it, like chapter eight is shine bright like a diamond. Okay. Like that's chapter eight. Um, It's the glorious radiance of Christ and his spirit. They're on display in chapter eight. So in this chapter, we should all read it. Like we should all read it, reread it. We should think about it. We should meditate on it. We should pray over it. We should memorize it. We should know it. Because this chapter is amazing. It's so amazing that Jay asked me to preach Romans 8, 1 through 11. And there's a lot there. And I got too excited. So I was like, I'm going to preach Romans 8, 1 through 4. And then there's a lot there. And I got too excited. So I said, I'm going to preach on Romans 8, 1. And that's what I'm preaching on today. Because I couldn't even get past the first verse. Because it's so amazing. Um, So today, yeah, we're going over the first verse, the opening verse of this chapter, and it's a verse about our Christian assurance. Who in here has ever felt like, does God really care about me? Does God really love me? I know that I'm a a Christian, but I keep sinning. Is he going to hold that against me? Well, This is the verse for you. It's so radical, so amazing that I'm just going to camp out here and let's read it together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Seems pretty simple, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So today, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk specifically um, to the people in the room that are flirting with the idea of being a Christian And then later, I'm going to talk to the people in this room that are Christians, okay? So first, wherever you see the word therefore, you need to ask what it's there for, all right? It's stupid, simple, but it works, all right? So therefore, what's it there for? Um, Paul, well, therefore always, no matter who's using it, Paul or whoever, is it indicates a conclusion. Something's happened, and now they're making a concluding thought. All right, so Paul is wrapping up a thought and bringing it to conclusion. What's his thought? This is it. 
the prior uh, seven chapters, basically to get here, this is what it's saying. Because we have been given the righteousness of God through our faith in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. All right. Condemnation means to bring down judgment. So because we are in Jesus, God is not going to bring down his judgment upon those who are in Jesus Christ because he's already brought down judgment on his son Jesus on the cross. So now Jesus has bore the sins of humanity once and for all, our sins against Jesus and against God and against the spirit, and the uh, the debt has been paid once and for all. It's done. It doesn't need to be paid again. Okay, so if you are in Christ Jesus, your debt, your sin, your trespasses, your rebellion against our holy, righteous, just God has already been paid, doesn't need to be paid again. Death has been paid for your sin. Sin requires death and Jesus paid it for you. So when judgment day comes, and yes, there is going to be a day where we stand before God, there are only two types of people in this world those who are in Christ and those who are not. Nothing else matters when we stand before God. That's the only two options for us. So if you're trying to stand before God based on what you've done or what you're doing, you will perish. Your sins aren't covered. If they're not covered, then your sins will require death. That's... That's the bad news. And make no mistake, God will put to death all sin and all evil. And he's going to separate as far as the east is from the west because God is loving and just. He does not want sin in his creation. He, God wants, he, he, what he started with in the garden, what he started with was this shalom, this perfect rhythm and unison and just loving thing. And then our sin wrecked it, okay? Um, So it's of eternal importance. Like, there's nothing more important today um, for you to determine than are you in Jesus Christ. Nothing else actually matters after or before you answer that question. So the question I have now is, what does it mean to be in Jesus Christ? All right, so at the end of the month, there's a movie coming out, um, and it's, it's called, uh, like, Deepwater Horizon. Has anyone seen the previews for that? Cool. No one's seen it. No one cares. Um, so it's basically about the oil rig um, that was in the Gulf of Mexico. It has Mark Wahlberg and his six-pack in the movie. And um, basically, this oil rig exploded in 2010. And it caused the biggest oil spill in U.S. history. Thank you, BP Gas. Um, So when I'm thinking about this, have you guys ever wondered, like, what do people do when this happens? You're in the middle of the ocean, and that's happening. Isn't that terrifying? To me, I'm scared. I'm scared right now. I'm just looking at a picture. It's, it's terrifying. So whether it's a hurricane, an explosion, whatever, when all hell's fur- fury is unleashed, where do these people turn? So I was looking it up this week, and these rig workers actually scramble into these bullet-shaped boats. This is my rudimentary 
uh, face or Photoshop skills. Um, so basically, they run to it, and when the entry port is shut, the thing is released down a chute and projected away from the rig. All right, and this thing can drop 150 feet. Think of that's 15 stories. So you're in that thing dropping 15 stories into the water. So be sure to wear your seatbelt. Um, so <laughs> the capsule, when it hits, then bobs up out of the water and it's in the sea safely until help arrives. Who knew that? I didn't. I think that's pretty cool. Um, maybe I'm a nerd. I don't know. James likes it. I know he likes it. So uh, anyway, this helps me and hopefully you guys uh, understand the theological truth of being in Christ. When you are in Christ, you are sealed. You are safe. You can rest assured that you are eternally protected. Take a giant deep breath, okay? Because when you are in Christ, you're in Christ. It's done. You're safe. Um, so when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not going down with the fallen world anymore. Your hope rests in Jesus, our rescuer. He is our rescue boat. Um, now, just because you're eternally secured in Christ does not mean the world stops falling apart, right? There will still be the topple and the bob and all these uh, water words that I don't even know what they mean exactly. But you'll be spinning around, things will be happening on the outside, right? Because um, the hurricanes of life come through all the time. Things are going to blow up, manure will hit the fan, um, but what do you win? That's the question. What do you win? Where does your peace come from? Our eternal welfare depends on whether we are in the rescuer. Um, I think, I think some, some way this actually falls apart. This, it, this is the inside of us. And I don't want you to walk out of here thinking like you need to silo yourself out, off from the fallen world. Because while the world's falling apart, inside of us, in Christ, we are safe and secure. So we can, we can know, trust, and rest that God has us. But on the outside, we're actually the people going back to the rig and we're, we're helping the people get on the boat. That's where we are in the world right now. Um, and if you don't think the world looks like the rig exploding, I mean, read the news today. It, it's the most cynical, terrible, all over the world. So much stuff is happening, and it's been happening. But God has been sending his rescue units, us, the body, to like mend and heal and uh, feed the hungry and do his work here on earth. Um, but you can't do that if you don't know you're safe and secure. <clears throat> All right. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To my Christians, brothers and sisters, in the New Testament, when you want to emphasize a word, you put it at the beginning of a sentence. When they, when they wrote in Greek originally, you would be able to know what the most important thing they're trying to convey in a sentence was because you could read whatever the first word they put on. You know, so it, a lot for us, it sounds like Yoda, but for the Greeks, it's like, okay, whatever the word is first, it has the strongest um, meaning and it's what they want me to focus on. And guess what? The first word of this verse is not there. 
The first word of this verse is not therefore. The first word is not now. The first word is actually no. The fifth word up here um, is the first in the original because Paul wants to make it perfectly clear and highlight to the max in the strongest possible way that there is no condemnation. Um, That's why he took the word no, moved it to the front. He's emphatically yelling from the rooftops, no. So this is my translation. Um, There is therefore no condemnation, none whatsoever, zero zilch, nada, by Felicia, for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right? Like, there's none. And, you know, if I wanted to I don't know, increase the font size, make it bold and underline it and italicize it, it could look like this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is it so important for us to know there is absolutely no condemnation in Christ? I want you to think about that. Why would Paul make it super, super clear that the most important thing he's trying to convey to us as Christians that there's no condemnation. There's no judgment coming down on us when we're in Jesus Christ. I believe it's because God wants to assure us that there's no rejection of any believer, no matter their sin or circumstance. That in itself is a very crazy thought. That no matter what you do, no matter how you sin, no matter what your circumstance is, there's no condemnation. So There might be earthly consequences to those sins and circumstances, but eternally speaking, when you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. It will not be counted against you. We will stumble. We will fall. We will get tripped up. We'll make a thousand mistakes. We'll get off path. We'll go astray. We'll have a thousand problems. But for a believer in Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. So, um, when Jesus said he, he wouldn't take all your problems away, but he did say this, all right? If in your problems, there's no condemnation. In your struggles, there's no condemnation. In your failure, there's no condemnation. In your going astray, there's no condemnation. Like, I'm gonna keep repeating that because I think it's so important because what does it mean? It means there's no rejection for the believer, and if you, if you understand what he's saying, you can hardly believe your eyes and your ears because he's saying as ongoing sinners, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. I want that to seek, seek in, sink into everyone. Um, so yes, I have sinned. Yes, I have fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, I have come to Jesus. Yes, I have put my hope and faith in Jesus and his work on the cross and in his resurrection. Um, And yes, I continue to sin. Like I cursed out the landlord this morning in my head when the AC broke, you know? Like this is an ongoing thing. And, but at the same time, I'm gonna be okay because I'm in Jesus Christ. I can rest in him. I can trust him. And there's no more condemnation. Um, And it's, to me, this is part of the amazing good news of the Bible. It's unique. Um, it shows the unique beauty of the gospel specifically, and it just reveals the crazy mercy that God has for us. I can hardly believe it, because I know what some of you are thinking. 
if there's no condemnation in Jesus, then wouldn't that just be a license to sin? Couldn't I just sin whenever I want and do whatever I want? And you know what? If you're not tempted to think that, then you don't understand the gospel. I think that is a very, very real uh, thought for people when they understand the gospel, their minds should actually go there. Like, wait, you're telling me that no matter what I do from this point on, if I'm in Christ, that there's no condemnation, it's not gonna be held against me. And we're like, yes. It's saying that right here. It's saying that in scripture. Um, but, so we have trouble with this because the gospel is so radical, it's so mind-boggling that we have a hard time making sense of it. That through Jesus and faith in Jesus, the verdict on the last day has been made known now. Like what is true now is gonna be true of me then. It's, it's amazing. I don't even know what else to say about it. It should be the most freeing thing that we've heard this morning because your sins will not be counted against you in Christ. But we do have trouble believing this and um, as Christians, we don't believe it. We definitely do not believe this. So this is how I believe uh, Christians think that they are condemned living a Christian life. So we say we live a Christian life, but we don't believe there's no condemnation. We live uh, the Christian life and think there's some sort of condemnation when we do stuff. So I've put us into two categories, the makeup artist and the magician. So I want you, when I read them, I want you to figure out which one you fall in um, in this scenario. So the makeup artist goes something like this. I am forgiven. Me and God are great. I got my praise on. And then I sin. Sin produces the feeling of shame and guilt. So I will read a little bit more in scripture. I'll pray a little bit more. We'll try to go out of our way to help an old lady cross the street, feed a homeless person, whatever. So I'll do enough stuff until I feel like I'm in good graces with God again. Um, you know, I need to do something that will get me back right with God. And when I do enough, I'm good with God. I've made it up. Okay, that's the makeup artist. The magician, which is more what I resonate with, um, goes something like this. I'm forgiven. Me and God are great. I got my praise on. And then I sin. Sin produces the feeling of shame and guilt. So I have two options. Pretend that God's not there or pretend that my sin's not there. All right. I will either way stay away from God because I'm going to say, you know what, maybe God's not there because I don't want to feel this guilt and shame. So I'm just going to like go in my corner or I'm going to be like, you know what, the sin isn't actually that big of a deal because I don't want to feel this guilt or shame. So I'm just going to kind of step away from it. And we think we downplay either our sin or we avoid God by trying to make either one disappear. Um, but at the end of the day, y'all know magic's not real. My wife told me that last night. I was crushed. Um, Magic's not real. When things disappear, they're still there, right? So we just think if enough time passes, we can come back to God and we're good. So can you relate to either one of these? Because to me, this is it. Like you're either performance-based 
or you're pretending. You're either trying to get right with God by what you do, or you're pretending it's not as bad as it is, or that God's not as good as he is. Those are the only options. Um, so here's our problem as Christians. We are either condemned or we act like we're condemned. So the problem is you're either condemned because you're not in Christ or you're acting like you are condemned even with, when you're in Christ and you're doing that by um, being a makeup artist or a magician, okay? So what I wanna tell you today is that there is another way. That there's another way that this isn't actually what the Christian life looks like. And that way is as a redeemed child of God. The redeemed child of God goes something like this. I am forgiven. Me and God are great. I got my praise on and then I sin. Sin produces feelings of shame and guilt, but I remember the truth that there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ, that God is no longer my enemy, but he's actually my loving father. And he's not a normal loving father. He has the patience of a thousand parents. So God wants to be reconciled with me so much that he's come down and taken the penalty of my sin away, wrath and death. It's, he's removed it from me. And in Christ, God, our father's arms are constantly open, willing to embrace us whenever we come to him. And we don't have to get dressed up to do it. He'll accept us right where we are. So we can have full confidence the fullest confidence that when we go before God and repent of our sins, that we know that there's not going to be any condemnation, only forgiveness, only acceptance, and only love. Is that not amazing news? The reason it's amazing news is because we didn't do anything to deserve that. It's only God. We have the problem God has a solution and we get to live out of that because there's only one application to that truth. There's only one response from us. And that's just overwhelming thankfulness, overwhelming gratitude to this God and overwhelming worship and love towards God that, not, that he has not only found a way to justify sinners like me and you, but that he continues to do so not out of ab obligation, because he really cares for us and he really loves us with an intense love like his own child, with the intensity that he loves Jesus, he loves us. Then you and God actually are great when you, when you realize that and you believe that because you have known the mercy and love of our God in a real and tangible way. So sin, almost when we're Christians, is a blessing because we get to re-experience God's love for us and his mercy and his grace for us afresh and anew all over again. Um, and you know, um, when you know what that feels like, when you know what it means to actually be forgiven truly in your worst, um, you can live a life that reflects the fact that there's no condemnation anymore and your freedom isn't spent thinking, well, can I just sin anymore? Or can I sin as much as I want? It's more thinking like, who am I to receive this mercy from this creator God? Who am I? Who do I think I am that 
I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. God created the whole universe. I'm a teeny speck. And yet, God's saying, no, I actually value and care for every part of my creation, including you. And if you're in Christ, then I'm going to love you and care for you and be long-suffering for you. And I will wait for you in your struggles. I will be by you. I don't turn away from you. You turn away from me. But my arms are always open. Come back to me. Be in relationship with me. So for those who are in Christ Jesus, um, in a few minutes, we're actually going to take communion and we're going to walk forward. We're going to eat this bread and drink this wine. Um, And just today, remember that the Lord suffered on your behalf and he suffered for your sins. And he did that. And then he's telling you now that there's no condemnation. It's the best news there possibly is. Like, we are not condemned. In Christ, he is our safe vessel, and nothing will break us from that. We are in. And if you're not a Christian, I, I beg, I beg you, come experience the love of the Father. Like, we talk about the love of the Father, but how many of us actually have felt the love of the Father? actually have felt redeemed, actually have felt just overwhelmed with his presence. The way you do that is you come to the throne of Jesus and you lay down your sins and then he says, you're clean. If you're in me and you put your faith in me, then I will restore you. I will renew you. I will put to death the old you and I will give you new life. And that's a process while here on earth. 